Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. With the church trending away from hospitality, participation, and closeness, what words from this passage to the Romans can we hear and apply to ourselves today? We look deeper at what koinonia may mean for us. You're listening to Share with the Lord's People Who Are in Need by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. After two weeks away from the sermon series that we've been going through this summer, I'm back, and that means we're back to Romans 12. Uh, For those of you who are visiting, we've been going through this passage, which is full of uh, Paul's instruction of the ways the Holy Spirit is creating his church, the kinds of virtues, the kinds of character that the Holy Spirit is placing in us as the body of Christ, And as part of that, not only have we been looking at individual instructions that Paul gives, we've been memorizing it, theoretically. And and, uh, so instead of me reading it to you, we will, as we have been doing, recite it all together. And if you haven't memorized it, it's okay. You can read it out of your Bible. You still have time, but I will tell you there's only a month left for you to memorize So let us say these words together from Paul. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Faithful in prayer, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. So the instructions that the Holy Spirit is giving us in this passage, the, 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 the instructions, the way that the Holy Spirit is forming his church through these words, it's obviously intended for all times and all places. The church of all times and all places are meant to be formed by these words. But we know, of course, that when these words were originally written, 
Paul had a specific church in mind, right? The church in Rome. So what was, what was the nature of the church in Rome? What was life like for the people who are living in the church of Rome? And how would they hear these words in particular? Life for those Christians was not as easy as you might think. Maybe when you think of uh, people living in Rome at that time, you think of people in togas strolling through sunlit squares with marble columns rising beside them. Um, and while certainly some of that was in Rome, for the most part, ordinary people and the people who would have been in the church lived very difficult lives, um, squalid lives. I read some stuff from Rodney Stark's book, The Triumph of Christianity, and he describes in great detail what life would have been like for those people. And one of the things that would strike you if you went there was population density. Rome was incredibly densely populated. You were always on top of other people in Rome. 300 people per, square, per acre. 300 people per acre. Now, to give you a sense of how dense that is, Manhattan, 100 people per acre. Calcutta, right? A place that you think of when you think of population density. 122 people per acre. Rome, 300 people per acre. So people were right on top of each other. You were always crowded in by people. And part of that crowding was in the housing. A lot of the housing was wooden tenements. Like today, when you think of Rome, you think of the marble buildings, the temples, and that's because that's what survived, because they're made of stone. But most of the people lived in something like tenements, these multi-story wooden dwellings. So apartments on top of apartments. And they were crammed together. The streets were narrow. And there were, they were not particularly well-constructed. They could collapse and people died. People were cooking in these apartments with open fires, so there were lots of fires, and people died. And the smell would have been awful. So there were public latrines in Rome, but they weren't close to where people lived, so for the most part, people would have relieved themselves in chamber pots, and they would have dumped those chamber pots out onto the street. Imagine living in 300 people per acre where everybody's dumping on the streets. The smell would have been excruciating and the flies would have been everywhere. Crime was terrible in Rome. Muggings, robbings, murders. The poet Juvenal said that if, if you were to go out for dinner at night in Rome, if you were to make plans to go out for dinner after dark in Rome and you failed to write your will beforehand, you were a foolish person. That's how bad it was. And government stability wasn't great either. Caesar Augustus, you know about him, he was the Caesar, he was the emperor when Jesus was born. He was very stable, he died of old age. After Caesar Augustus, according to what I read a couple weeks ago, seven emperors in a row were either murdered or committed suicide because they knew they were about to be overthrown. Seven in a row. So you can imagine what that did for government stability, right? Imagine seven presidents either assassinated or committing suicide in a row. It does not lead to stability. So it was a really difficult life. It was chaotic. We think we have chaotic and difficult lives now, right? We complain about moral decay and societal problems. We live in a paradise of stability compared to the people who lived in ancient Rome. Now imagine this. 
into that chaotic, difficult world, a community comes. A community who loves each other. A community who follows this man named Jesus Christ and is filled with the Holy Spirit. And their love is sincere. And they hate what is evil and they cling to what is good. And they're devoted to one another in love. And they're faithful in prayer and patient in affliction. And they care for each other when they're in need. And they practice hospitality. There's this beautiful community, a Romans 12 community, in the middle of all that chaos, in the middle of all those flies, in the middle of all that stink. Can you imagine how attractive that would have been and how people would have been drawn to that kind of community? According to Rodney Stark and to others, that's exactly what happened. The quality of that community led to church growth in Rome. Here's what Stark writes. Christianity generated a community of believers who built their lives around their religious affiliation, built their lives around each other. And it was this, above all else, that insulated Christians from the deprivations of ancient life. They were not strangers, but brothers and sisters in Christ. And when calamity struck, there were people who cared for them. So it wasn't just a message that brought people to Christ in Rome, right? It wasn't just the gospel message. It wasn't just that people were telling other people about Jesus. It was the quality of the community. It was the embodied message in the love that the people showed in community that attracted so many people to Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, as I said... Our lives are not nearly as complicated as the ancient Romans, right? We have more stability, but there's still plenty of chaos and there's still plenty of trouble. And especially out there, there are lots of lonely people whose lives are a mess. And if there was for them a community of Romans 12 kinds of love, I have no doubt that they would hear the gospel message embodied in the community and they would come to us. So as we seek to be that community, as we continue to be formed by the Spirit to be that community, let's listen to the two phrases that we are going to concentrate on today, and that's share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality and see how the Holy Spirit is forming us by those two phrases. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. I'm going to talk about them one by one, and for each of them, I want to focus on a Greek word. The first Greek word is koinonia. Koinonia. Now, I think many of you have heard that word before. I've certainly talked about it in the sermons. And it, it shows up in that phrase, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Literally, that phrase says koinonia with the Lord's people who are in need. Now, koinonia is a difficult word. It's like one of those words that doesn't translate well from its original language to English, right? Every language is a few of those words. Koinonia is one of those words. It has this rich texture. It means many different things in scripture. And just to give you a sense of how broad its meaning is, let me show you some of the different places where it shows up. Romans 15, verse 26. In that verse, Paul's celebrating the generosity of the Macedonian church because they've just given a really big gift to the church in Jerusalem. And that gift he calls a koinonia. So koinonia in Romans 15 is a big financial gift. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. 
God, in that verse, calls us into fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ, calls us to be close to Jesus. That word fellowship is translated koinonia. So in that verse, it's not a monetary gift. It's fellowship with Jesus. It's our close relationship with Jesus. One more. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Paul is talking about when we take the Lord's Supper, and he says that when we drink the wine of the Lord's table, we are partaking in the blood of Christ. That word partaking is also koinonia. Right? So partaking is koinonia. Intimacy with Jesus, fellowship with each other, koinonia. A big monetary gift, also koinonia. So when Paul says to us in Romans 12, koinonia with those who are in need, he's, he's suggesting something a lot more significant than occasionally giving to the benevolence fund. It's something much more significant than that. And in fact, a theologian named David Bentley Hart studied this word, and he says that when the word koinonia is used, Paul intends, and his people would have understood, that there's a specific set of community practices intended in that word. So it's a little bit like if I use the word Pilates. If I say Pilates to you, you know, oh, that's exercises. And you also know, oh, there's certain kinds of exercises that you do when you do Pilates. Koinonia is like that. So when Paul says koinonia, all the people would have said, oh, koinonia, we know what that means. It means a certain kind, a certain set of community practices. What would those practices have been? First, radical giving. The early church did way more than tithe. Today, if, if all Christians tithe, we think, wow, that's great. Uh, honestly, statistics show, and I have no idea about any of you, trust me, but statistics show that most people don't tithe, right? Most Christian people don't tithe. The early Christian church did way more than tithe. They shared all things in common. Acts 2, right? They got together every day in the temple courts and they shared all things in common, koinonia. And that wasn't just something they did right after they were so excited about Pentecost, right? That's not, that sharing wasn't something that went on for a few months and then they all went back to other things. No, that went on for a long time. The Didache, which is an early Christian document which calls churches how to live, which tells them practices to do, says this. Give without hesitating and without grumbling. Never turn away from the needy. Share all your possessions with your brother and do not claim anything as your own. Share. That word is koinonia in the didache. Didache was written in Greek. So again, sharing all things in common. This is at least 100 years after Paul wrote. We also know this is true because this is what the pagans said about the early church. A guy named Lucian of Samosata, who was a pagan satirist, wrote in one of his critiques of Christianity, he wrote, those weirdo Christians do not possess anything of their own, but share all things in common. So this sharing all things in common was a widespread thing that went on for a long time in the Christian church. But this radical giving was rooted in the second practice I want to hold up and suggest as part of Koinonia, which is radical fellowship. These people did not give because somebody shook their finger at them and says, you must share all things in common. 
They gave because they had sincere love, right? Love must be sincere. It came out of their love. It wasn't an obligation. They were so in love with their brothers and sisters. They were so in love with the community of the church that they gave out of their own hearts. Because when you really, really love something, no one has to tell you to give money to it, right? When you really, really love something, people have to tell you to stop giving money. Please, do not buy another golf club, honey. Right? So koinonia, share with the Lord's people who are in need, is Paul holding up for us a community of radical love, deep love for each other, a love so deep that all things are shared in common. Now, I can hear some of you saying, okay, that's great, Peter, but seriously, you are not seriously suggesting that we should share all things in common. That is utterly impractical. And maybe you're right. And I certainly don't see that happening anytime soon. But ultimately, I'm not called to tell you practical things. I'm called to tell you what's in the book. And if you read this and study it, it's clear. There's no turning away from it. This is what Paul meant. This is how the early church interpreted it. This is what they did. And not only that, it was exactly this kind of practice that was part of what made the early church so popular, so compelling for those who are not Christians. So I proclaim this truth to you. I tell you what the word says. And I realize that we're far from that kind of community right now. And I know that it's impractical. I know that we're not going to be that kind of community anytime soon. But I will say this. It feels to me, it doesn't just feel to me, I can read the numbers. It feels to me, now I, don't, I, mean, I know we're never going to come, become that kind of community, but it also feels to me that we're moving in the opposite direction. All the numbers, all the trend lines, all the data show that we're having less commitment, less participation, less fellowship. The fabric of church just keeps getting looser and looser and looser. And it's not that we don't have any sharing here. We have tremendous sharing. I talked to someone a couple weeks ago who's been sick, got 110 cards from this congregation, right? So there's caring going on, but it's the trend lines. We're not moving towards this radical kind of caring and love and sharing. In general, the church is moving in the opposite direction. So I would be unfaithful as a pastor if I didn't stand up here today after reading these words and say to you, we have work to do. There is a challenge here for us when Paul says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Now I'm convinced that because we belong to the Holy Spirit, that he who began a good work in us will not fail to bring it to its completion. But we do have work to do. Which brings us to the second of Paul's words, which I will not spend as much time on. Practice hospitality, and it's a good word to follow up on koinonia because this is a practice that if we practice it will help create the kind of koinonia that I just talked about. We just did a whole series of sermons on hospitality, so I won't say too much. I will remind you, however, that hospitality is not just dinner with friends. Dinner with friends is great. I hope you all do that often, but it's more a word that is about strangers. In the Greek, this is the second Greek word, hospitality is philoxenia, which literally means love of strangers. 
So when you're full of hospitality, it's not just your friends you're interested in, you are interested in strangers. It's the opposite of tribalism. It's an intuition that is the opposite of what I think is our default intuition, which is fear and suspicion of strangers. It is openness to strangers. Hospitable people are approachable, whether it's the way they host a dinner or whether it's the way they do a conversation. They're a kind of person who's approachable. There's a certain openness to them. When you come to them, your hospitable people have a quality of attention that lets people know that they've been heard and heard in such a way that they are willing to share their brokenness, their need, their sadness. Hospitality creates an approachable space where people will be able to come to them and say what their hurts are. Hospitality absorbs. You don't just create that space where people can come when people give you those hurts. You absorb them and you return them with blessing. The blessing of a meal, the blessing of a prayer, the blessing of a hug. That's the feel of hospitality. And when I think of it in our context, I think of our neighbors at Degage. I think you all know the ministry of Degage. It's right over there across the street. It's been going on for many years. They work with the poorest of our neighbors. They provide meals. They provide care. And many of you know that recently, Degage changed its entrance. Did you know that? It used to go out on to Division. Now it comes out on Sheldon. It's right across the road from us. And maybe you notice there's a lot more people hanging around in our parking lot and on our lawns. Every day that I was here this week and I came in in the morning, someone was sleeping on one of the dividers in the parking lot. And this is going to create some challenges for us. There's more garbage. There's been more panhandling. And so there are some security challenges that come with that. However, I hope that we don't frame these, this new development only in terms of security. I hope we can also frame it in terms of hospitality. And we can find ways that we can be approachable and engage and bless. We do some of that already. I've mentioned before, and I will mention again, that once a month on a Tuesday, we have a foot care clinic in our multi-purpose room. And about 75 to 100 neighbors come and they receive foot care from Calvin nursing profs and Calvin nursing students. Um, and it's really important when you're on the street. Foot care when you're on the street is super important, so we give that, but we don't just give that. We also give free haircuts. Um, there's also, a, a, we feed the people, and there is a raffle where we give away gift cards. And I've been to visit, and it's a truly a space of hospitality. The spirit in the room is joyful, and people feel welcomed. And the spirit moves. When I visited, I, I sat down beside two Calvin nursing students who I didn't know, who were taking care of the feet of uh, a woman who, who lived in a local um, um, low-cost housing. And her name was, I'm not sure this was actually her name, Kathy. Let's just call her Kathy. And in that space of hospitality, while she was having her feet cleaned, we started to talk to Kathy, and she felt safe enough, hospitality, right, to tell her story. 
And she was a person who was a lot like us. She graduated from college, used to have a really good, well-paying job, was married. She didn't tell us everything what happened, but it was clear she struggled with mental illness, and maybe there were some other things, but the marriage fell apart, her life fell apart, she found herself in the streets, she moved, ended up in Grand Rapids. This is the story she told us. And she told it with sadness, humility, and of course, with a little shame. You could see it. Well, she was just finishing her story uh, when they started doing the raffle, and the very first name called in the raffle was Kathy's name. She won a $50 gift card to Meyer. And we all, Kathy, it's you, and we all celebrated, and they brought over the envelope with a gift card, and we all patted her on the back, and we expressed how happy we were for her, and she smiled and waved it. And then one of her friends came over, one of her people who lived in the same housing unit, and said, oh, Kathy, I'm so happy for you. That's so wonderful. I love this. I just think that's so great. I have never won anything in my whole life, and you won. I have never won anything. I'm so happy. And when Kathy heard those words, I've never won anything in my whole life, her face fell. A cloud went in front of her face. She hesitated for about one second, and she took the gift card and gave it to her friend. And when she did it, I thought she was going to cry. See what the Spirit did in that place? See what the Spirit did with hospitality and how it turned hospitality towards koinonia? That's what the Holy Spirit can do with us when we share with the Lord's people who are in need and we practice hospitality. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your spirit which flow. If we look at our own abilities and our own capacities, the troubles of this world seem overwhelming. But when we see you on your throne and we know that we are led by your spirit, Lord, there's no end to what you can do through us. Lord, keep us faithful and keep us with our eyes on you and keep our hearts full of your spirit, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.